Our Old Testament reading can be found in your pew Bible on page 231. There you will find Judges. I'll be reading chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Once Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute and went to her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. So they circled around and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They kept quiet all night, thinking, let us wait until the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay only until midnight. Then at midnight he rose up, took hold of the doors of the city gate, the two posts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that was in front of Hebron. Your New Testament reading can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1097. There you will find Hebrews. I'll be reading chapters 11 and 12, verses 32 through 3. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jada, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in caves, and in holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us bow together in prayer. Eternal God, by your spirit, speak to us from this ancient word. 
that it may become a living word for us to encourage us in our pilgrimage of discipleship today, tomorrow, and in all the days to come. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. In the calendar of the church year, last Wednesday was All Saints Day. The preceding day was All Hallows' Eve, what we call Halloween, an evening when I expect we all were a little bit surprised by what we saw when our doorbells rang and we opened our homes to all the costume trick-or-treaters who were making the rounds. But I think there also may be some surprises for us every time we come together in the life of the church for study or worship or just fellowship or participation in some mission project. We're used to coming together to share our stories of faith, to mark the seasons of our lives with baptisms and marriages and services of witness to the resurrection. But every time we gather, in one sense or another, we are recalling the cloud of witnesses that surrounds us and encourages us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us. That's just a part of what it means to be involved in the life of the church. But have you ever stopped to think seriously about just who it is that is in that cloud of witnesses? As you read through the 11th chapter of Hebrews, <clears throat> it may surprise you to see just who is there among those men and women cited as examples of faithfulness. Now, all of them had their human flaws and frailties. But still, we know why most of them are listed there in the roll call of the faithful. There was Abel, Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Solomon. But wait a minute. Samson? Brawny, bawdy, not terribly smart. Ancient history's version of the Incredible Hulk, except that he didn't turn green that we know of. Someone not long ago said that Stephen Sondheim's song, Send in the Clowns, was probably written just for Samson. Because often in the stories about him, Samson really does appear to be a clown, a big, blundering man-child whose mouth and muscles seem to keep him perpetually in hot water. Why is he listed among the faithful? And what possible word of grace can we hear from the adventures of this judge of Israel? You have to admit, Samson's story really is a colorful one. He was the son of Manoah of the tribe of Dan. And he was a judge in Israel in the days before Israel had a king. What we know about him is that for about 20 years, he was a kind of one-man gang 
who terrorized the Philistine armies. He was Rambo before Sylvester Stallone was Rambo. And we know that Samson had many interests. One of them apparently was bodybuilding, strength development. Most of the others were women and not necessarily the kind of women his mother wanted him to bring home for her to meet. Well, one evening, Samson went to Gaza to pursue one of his interests, a Philistine woman of ill repute. Now, Gaza was one of five fortified cities of the Philistines, the military stronghold of the people most feared by Israel. When Samson entered the city, went to the woman's house, the word began to spread among the local citizens. Hey, did you hear? Samson, the Hebrew strong boy, is going to spend the night with a harlot. By tomorrow morning, he'll be dead tired. Let's set a trap for him so we can capture him and kill him and put an end to all of his foolishness. And so the whole city was mobilized. The guards were sent to the city gates to cut off Samson's only avenue of escape. And the soldiers went to sleep early so they would be rested and robust for the morning capture. All of this for one visitor to the local brothel. Well, during the night, Samson began to sense that something was afoot. And so around midnight, he left the woman's house, quietly stepped over the sleeping guards, made his way to the city gates, which he proceeded to pull up, bars and all, carry 40 miles down the road and trash in the valley of Hebron. That's some story. In Hebrew, it's only 57 words. Obviously, I don't do Hebrew very well, so it took me a few more than that. But typical of all the Samson stories, this one is brawny, a little bit body, and certainly brutal. And so the question is, what keeps this story of Samson from being locker room humor? What makes this more than just a racy story told among the boys down at the club? I was interested that one commentator said, the purpose of this story is to tell of an experience of Samson showing his superhuman strength. Well, it does that. But if that's all it does, then why is it in the Bible? I want to suggest to you that there is a more important purpose that this story serves, that it served for Israel, that it certainly can serve for us. And we glimpse that purpose if we stop to recall that in the days of the judges... Israel was an oppressed people, struggling to survive against a Philistine culture that was superior to their own in virtually every way. Life was hard, and there weren't many victories for the Hebrew people. There wasn't much to give them hope, and there certainly wasn't much to cause them to laugh. Not much. Except the stories of Samson. Stories in which this clown-like muscle man repeatedly made clowns of the, the entire Philistine army. 
just as God did to the armies of Egypt at the Red Sea. For Israel, the exploits of Samson made life as an oppressed people just a little more tolerable. By remembering these stories and events, the people kept their sanity. They maintained their sense of hope, and they were able to laugh. They used these stories to vent their anger, to express their fears, and above all, to confess their faith that one of these days, we don't know when, but one of these days, Samson's little triumphs over the Philistines are going to be repeated in much bigger, much more important ways. These stories help the people to believe that one day God was going to give them victory over everything and everyone that dared to oppress them. So the stories of Samson, in a sense, became resistance stories. Stories that are told over and over and over again to express dissatisfaction with things as they are and to affirm the hope that one of these days things are going to change for the better. There were stories that helped the people keep the faith when reasons for doing so were not readily apparent. You and I know this kind of story. I know there are probably a few here who remember World War II. There are certainly many here who have studied the history of World War II. And you know how when Hitler's armies were ravaging Europe, there were many resistance stories that began to emerge. Stories of how a few members of an underground group would blow up a bridge or derail a train to frustrate the Nazi war machine. For most of Europe, those stories drew a line between us and them. And they say you could always tell whose side a person was on by noticing when that person laughed when the stories of the resistance were told. Recalling the victories of the resistance gave hope to the people in some pretty dark and disheartening days. I expect you and I all have our own favorite resistance stories. Stories of men and women we've known who have dared to stand against things as they are who have refused to accept suffering or injustice or violence as the last word, people who help us to believe that things can and will be better. And those include stories from people in this congregation, men and women whose faith and faithfulness have given strength and courage not just to this church, but to this entire community. And we cherish these stories because they remind us of the God-given dignity and the remarkable capacities of human life. And they help us to see clearly the power of faith in Jesus Christ. As we remember them, as we tell them, they inspire us and they give us hope. Our stories, like so many others in our tradition, including the stories of Samson, help the people of God to keep the faith and to know that one day all little victories over sin and suffering will be swallowed up by a much, much greater victory before which the whole world will bow in wonder and love and praise. 
And so in that sense, I think the stories of Samson give us a fresh perspective on yet another resistant story of sorts, the story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Son of God, went about doing good, calling people to follow him in the service of God. One day he rode into the city of Jerusalem in triumph, and within a week he was driven from the city and crucified outside the city gates. And for a brief time, his crucifixion appeared to be the victory of everything that is hateful and false and evil in this world. But in fact, it was something very, very different. Because as Paul says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So when Jesus was raised from death to life, his cross became a symbol of the power of God to turn the tables on sin and death. And what human beings had intended to be a sign of God's defeat, in fact became the emblem of God's power to give life and hope everlasting. So the memory of the cross and the resurrection is the ultimate resistance story of the church. It identifies us as people who are not enslaved by nor afraid of the powers of this world. It reminds us that we are the body of Christ called to extend his ministry of mercy and grace to all with whom we live and work and share this planet. It assures us that the victory God has won in Christ is by faith our victory as well. And something I've noticed over the years, you can always tell whose side people are on by noticing whether they respond with great joy every time the stories of Jesus are told. Every time we tell the stories of Jesus, we express confidence that the time is coming when this world will be conformed to the will and ways of God revealed in Jesus Christ. We declare that God is not finished with us or with this world yet. And one thing we know, God always gets the last word. In the meantime, we are surrounded by a great and sometimes even surprising cloud of witnesses. Just remember who's in it. A clown-like muscle man like Samson, the prophets and apostles, the leaders of ancient Israel, the faithful of the early church, the shapers of the Reformation, the saints of this congregation, many of whom we will remember here this morning, men and women whose spirits still walk the halls of this church. And yes, you who are gathered here today, frail human beings, all of us, who will be remembered not for skills or cleverness or physical strength and thank the Lord not for our romantic adventures. We will be remembered instead for an unshakable confidence in the love and power of a faithful God 
whom we know in Jesus Christ our Lord. And therefore, my friends, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.